0: The Word of God interprets itself. It defends itself. It explains itself. In areas that it doesn't, we need to leave alone. What we need to do is we need to understand the Bible to be able to be transformed and transformative. So the operative word was understand. That was the game changer right there. Hey, welcome to another episode of Relate, Refresh, and Restore, a podcast committed to bringing stories of hope and insight to those on the front lines of Christian ministry. Our desire is for all of us to see, sense, and experience God's voice through their stories. And through these stories, we may see His hand and hear His voice in our lives. The Relate, Refresh, and Restore podcast is brought to you by Romans 12 Ministries, where we are wildly committed to transforming the church, one pastor, missionary, and ministry leader at a time. Well, here's some statistics
1: that fascinate me, but they also alarm me that ties in with our topic today of the Bible and biblical worldview and understanding it. There was a study that was put out uh, about a year ago by the American Bible Societies, and they called it the State of the Bible Report. And the data said that roughly 26 million people had mostly or completely stopped reading the Bible in the last year. So obviously, COVID had a big effect on that. Surprisingly, that people stopped. It went on to talk about that now only 39% say they read the Bible multiple times per year or more. And that's the steepest and sharpest decline on record. Currently, only 10% of Americans report daily Bible reading before the pandemic, that number was about 14%. And when the area of biblical worldview, there was a study done um, by the Cultural Research Center, uh, Arizona Christian University, and the title of this was Biblical Worldview Among U.S. Adults Drops 33% Since Start of COVID-19 Pandemic. And this, man, this was just really disturbing because obviously there's gonna be consequences if we don't uh, live out um, the biblical thoughts and some of the teachings that we embrace. Uh, Barna, which is, you know, they're kind of the leaders in the research. Barna, who has measured the worldview of American adults for more than 30 years, said that these new lows of biblical worldview could effectively spell the extinction of biblical beliefs in our nation. And this is a quote. When you put the data in perspective, the biblical worldview is shuffling toward the edge of a cliff, Barna commented. Uh, As things stand today, biblical theism is much closer to extinction in America than it is to influencing the soul of the nation. The current incident of adults with the biblical worldview is the lowest since I have been measuring it since the early 1990s. And then it comes to young people, and young people in particular are largely isolated from biblical thought in our society and are the most aggressive at rejecting biblical principles in our culture. So my guest today has a passion for the Bible and for teaching and understanding the Bible and obviously, how we view and understand and interpret and live out what is in the Bible is a big deal. You know, is it truly God's love letter to us, or is it infallible, uh, or is it just a collection of stories on morality and history? And there's consequences to that. You've heard ideas have consequences. And I think we see that in our society, whether it's in the government or in schools, um, this is a big deal. And so our guest today is passionate to help others understand the Bible. Dana Yenser is the founder and director of the Ministry Resources Institute. Their mission is to teach and train students in understanding the Bible. You may reach them at ministryresourceinstitute.org. And that's ministryresourcesinstitute.org if you would like to have more information on this organization. I'm David Town, the host of the Relate, Refresh, and Restore podcast. Well, Dana Yenser, thank you so much for coming in today.
0: Well, thank you for having me. Thank you, David.
1: You have a passion for the Word. Yes. And every time we've talked, not only are you one of the nicest guys I've ever met. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but you just have this passion for the Word. And I, just, my, I guess my first question is, how did, where did that start?
0: Well, thank you for asking that. Um, I grew up in a church family, and I had a grandmother, the only grandparent I ever knew. She was a very godly woman, but very anonymous in life. Uh, she had no more than an eighth grade education. But she had her King James Bible by her hand all the time. We would do our farm chores in the morning, have lunch in the afternoon to, to stay cool We were in the house, and she'd have her King James Bible there. And that always impressed me. And we'd talk about things I heard in Sunday school and stuff. But she, not being educated, I knew quite early that there were things that overwhelmed her in the Bible. And she'd read them and be glad for them, but couldn't understand them and make you know sense of it. But I was so impressed that she loved the, the Word of God. And that planted a seed in me mm-hmm. at a very, very young age. I grew up in a small church, probably about 60, 70 people, had great vacation Bible schools and great teachers there, and uh, uh, they made a real imprint on me. Mm. But I really didn't think about understanding the Bible until much later in life, until I committed my life to Christ. It was uh, May 13th, 1975. I was in my early 20s. I could turn my life over to Christ. And joined a, a very good campus church at Ohio State. And heard a tremendously great teaching on a couple of the parables of Jesus. I thought, wow! They could get this out of that? Two sentences? Three sentences? And apply it to life? This is huge. And it was exciting. And I went out and Grabbed a Bible and began reading the Bible and and uh, putting things together and 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 that was exciting. Life caused me to have to switch communities, so I joined another church, another good church, and I heard a pastor do a, ser- a sermon series on that same parable, and it was so different than the first time, a whole different interpretation. And I thought this is interesting. Who's right? I picked up a couple books on parables and uh, at the bookstore, Christian bookstore, and read their interpretations on the parables, same parables, all different. I thought, wait a minute, who's right? Mm -hmm. What should I believe? What should I implement into my life? I want to implement the Word of God. I want to understand parables as wisdom literature but I'm getting four, five, six different takes. And I got to the point where I turn on the radio and the radio pastor was going to teach on that particular parable, I found myself turning off the switch because I was confused. Mm. It was confusing. Frustrating. And then I'd go into the parable and try to read it myself and I had all these biases and all these voices in my head And I closed the Bible because, and this is the primary example, but it wasn't just the parable, it was other texts in Scripture. In the mid seventies, there was a big move towards uh, rapture theology and the coming of the Lord in that decade. And, and what,
1: what was that book? The late seventies, uh, yeah, late the late 70s. late Great Planet late, Earth. Or, oh yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. read that. Mm-hmm. Satan is alive and well on Planet Earth. You know the whole uh, that whole series. And every time I hear a sermon, which was the fad at the time, on these end times and and the, the, the timing of it and everything. I get four or five different takes. I'm sitting there thinking, I'm sitting in the pew, what's everybody else thinking? That mm-hmm. frustrated me to the point I am saying, you know what, I'm going to clean the slate off. There's got to be a better way. I was steeped in my aviation career, uh, being uh, based at different cities around the country for our missions, and so attending a, a Bible college as a fixed thing was not not for me. So most of my initial Bible training from universities and stuff came from my extension. And I could take that with me on the road, and I, and I did that. And I said, you know what? Um, there's something wrong here, at least in my perception. Why am I getting all these different interpretations and not having anything solid to stand on? And I found also that many people favored their favorite interpreter and based all the rest of the world upon that one particular author or preacher and those kind of things. And that's human. We do that. That's just human nature. Mm -hmm. So I can't change human nature, but how can I change myself on this? Because I don't want to become a Samanite. I just made that up. Preacher Sam. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I... I think there's a bigger world than that. So that set me out on uh, a way and the search on how to understand the Bible. Mm -hmm. Because I even began to challenge my own interpretations of the Bible. When I tried to interpret that particular parable, I found I was just putting myself in a room full of other interpreters. And I wasn't gonna spend my whole life defending my interpretation like most of them were doing. And two things happened. One was a very wise professor, a godly man, well-esteemed. He said that we do not need to interpret the Bible. Us thinking we need to interpret a text or teach people to interpret the text is non-effective. Hmm. Because the Word of God interprets itself.
1: So, but you were... You're Passionate to interpret the Bible. Sure. But when he says something like that, how shocked how'd you me. take
0: that? It shocked me. Because I was growing up in, in my Bible training, my Bible studying, uh, to learn how to interpret the Bible. And the bookshelves were sagging with books on how to interpret the Bible. Well, meaning, nothing wrong there. It's just our, our cultural, custom, Western way of doing things. And when this professor said, the Bible interprets itself, we don't need to interpret it. And as I grew in education and learning how to teach and becoming a teacher, I always felt that um, God had called me to be a teacher, even when I was younger, before Christ, I did a lot of flight instructing and so on and so forth, a lot of teaching. Um, The key phrase was, um, the the Word of God interprets itself. It It defends itself, it explains itself. In areas that it doesn't, we need to leave alone. What we need to do is we need to understand the Bible. To be able to be transformed and transformative. So the operative word was understand. That opened the door for 40 plus years, going on, yeah, 40 years, 50 years of intense Bible study. You're old. Study. Yes, I am.
1: (laughs) You don't look old, though.
0: Thank you. uh, that's That made the change. That was the game changer right there. And when I came across Colossians 1, 28 and 29, which I've shared with you, uh, became my lifetime uh, mission and the mission of our ministry. It was that I would teach Christ and admonish those with wisdom so they could be presented perfect in Christ. By the power that God works in me mm-hmm. and that would only come by me helping people to understand the Bible mm-hmm. and not get bogged down with thinking they had to interpret the Bible because the Bible already, it does, that's, a, that's not my opinion, it's a fact, it's proven over and over. Good scholarship, good Bible teachers historically have known that mm-hmm. but I think, and this is just an opinion, I think in our time of our society where individualism is paramount in all sectors of life, including the body of Christ at times, then interpretation becomes an issue. And what I came to learn real early is that interpretation is a product of inductive reasoning, putting ourselves into the meaning, versus deductive, having the meaning be put into us. Mm -hmm. Food for thought on that.
1: Wow. So how, what would that look like, understanding the Bible? So if I'm in your class, what would that look like? Because there are different ways to interpret things that are said, and that's mm-hmm. what makes the Bible this love letter that God's given us so unique and complicated and beautiful mm-hmm. and, and priceless. Mm-hmm. But what would it look like for, for me to be in your class to understand the Bible?
0: The Bible, as we have it canonized, is of complete Hebrew authorship. Now, someone will say, well, wait a minute, what about Luke? He was a Gentile, he was Greek. Yes, he's the only non-Hebrew author in our canon, in the Bible. But he was operating under the auspices of Paul, who was Jewish. so, the Bible really is of the Hebrew uh, mindset as God directed that group of people to record his revealed word. And Hebrews uh ancient, you know, starting from Abraham, even well, starting with Abraham for this conversation going forward, uh had a certain way of teaching the word of God. And what we discovered was how the rabbis taught the word of God to help people understand. Now this is a very in-depth subject. We're not going to cover it all here. But we must remember that Jesus was a rabbi. He was an itinerant rabbi. That means he didn't manage a synagogue. He moved from village to village to village. And we have a record of his parables that he taught over and over and over. Each rabbi itinerant rabbis, moving from village to village, had their own work, their own uh, work of theology, their own work of of doctrine. They had their own set of parables, and they would teach them over and over. That was part of their distinctiveness and their identity. They had certain ways of praying that identified them as who they were. Remember, uh, Jesus' disciples came to him and said, "Uh, will you teach us to pray like John's disciples, like John The baptizer teaches their disciples. So for a rabbi, the two distinctions were their prayer life and their teaching wisdom literature, the parables in this case. Mm. And they taught them over and over and over. When we read the parables of Jesus as a rabbi, he taught those same parables over and over and over in each village he went to. And the rabbis had a certain methodology to present this material and help people understand and apply That's the critical issue. We have a saying that's not original to me, but I've used it for years and years and years inside all of our coursework. Information without application is no better than yesterday's news. God's word is meant to be done. Poor grammar to make a point, though. We are to apply what God shows us. This is how we're transformed and contribute to others transformations. so we see how Jesus taught his own word as the author and as the word. we know how he, he taught that and it's still taught in rabbinical circles excuse me everywhere we just adapted uh, very um, uh, accurately the way God's Word was taught up until The full development of the Western culture. And then there was a shift, but it's still effective. But that's anyway, so uh, that's what we do. We give people the tools to, in that methodology, to understand the Word of God, connecting Old Testament, New Testament principles, and so on and so forth, and truth, and be able to apply it.
1: Mm -hmm. So. Give me your thoughts right now, kind of the trends of the church and Bible teaching and Bible understanding. Where are we? Are you encouraged or are you discouraged? Yes. (laughs) That's a real (laughs) political answer.
0: (laughs) You hear rumblings out there in academic circles and and scholarly circles and uh, so on and so forth about the decline of uh, the actual – teaching of the Word of God in the Western cultures. America, Europe, Australia, New zealand and so forth. And the illiteracy of the Bible in the masses is, is very high. It's at a record high in many surveys and, and in, in some, the
1: world? United States specifically?
0: Well I I keep it well, yes. Uh, Yes, both. And I wasn't playing on that. In the Western culture, illiteracy is very high, which is shocking because we have more Bibles, more institutions, colleges, seminaries, more churches than any other place in the world, it seems like. The illiteracy outside of that world is, of course, the unreached people. So illiteracy just is a problem as a whole. The illiteracy in the unreached is acceptable, but it's also because our missionary efforts aren't the same as they were 100 years ago. So there's kind of a cause and effect. In the Western culture, in the church world of the Western culture, biblical illiteracy is very high But the opinions and interpretations uh, and the books about the Bible that's on the Christian bookshelves, the illiteracy is not as high because we're reading that more than the Bible. Mm. And I think it's because there was a shift in just after the Civil War in America. Uh, as we approached the first depression in the late 1800s, the railroad uh, depression, railroad-causing depression, that people felt like God and the Bible, reading the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, believing in the Word of God wasn't working. And it fostered some changes within the body of Christ that's outside the scope of this conversation. Uh, that's one part of it. The... Um, uh, I think, and I'm, and I'm being courteous here, church architecture has also played into the illiteracy that we have at this moment of the Bible in the body of Christ, believe it or not. Yeah. One cannot uh, study church history, especially in the Western cultures, without the uh, huge effect of architecture plays in the development of the Western church Its strengths and its weaknesses, and the weaknesses being the um, illiteracy. Here's why. And these are just overviews, okay? There's a lot of gray area in here. When this country was first developed by the Puritans and others coming from Europe, seeking freedom of religion, they built their churches, and they had a sanctuary, and and then they would have um, fellowship halls and classrooms, Okay. Uh, We've lost the word sanctuary to many places now. We call it an auditorium. uh, That has strengths and weaknesses to it. But the early churches in our country, up through the uh, mid 1900s, that's why they were built. You had a sanctuary, you had a fellowship hall where they would come together and pray about missions, ordain people, prepare people for ministry. They had classrooms, and so on and so forth. But as in our latter years here the shift towards and i'll just use this as a picture is nothing critical as we move towards what we now call the mega church movement they needed more sanctuary space so classrooms were gutted (laughs) reconfigured to add more space for the sanctuary event and so the ce programs christian education programs and focuses on teaching and teaching the word became kind of secondary and there's other movements that's caused this too but that's primary just a cornerstone to think about and have a conversation about
1: that is fascinating i've never thought of architecture oh yes and biblical literacy
0: oh yes hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm,
1: i can see that
0: yeah wow
1: so i want to know practically let's go into dana yenser's life Mm. Uh, i'm i'm going to be a fly following you during a week Mm -hmm. what does it look like for you as you uh, hear god's voice uh, feel his nudgings Mm -hmm. dive into the word Mm -hmm. not just for head knowledge but to actually from the heart Mm -hmm. what does that look like for you
0: you know that's a fair question as a teacher a Bible teacher, by God's grace, not my own selection or opinion, okay, Um, uh, but as a Bible teacher. It's very hard daily to go into the Word of God outside of the mindset of how can I teach this text? How can I write a course about this? How can I train people to develop this into coursework Mm -hmm. and make it a, a course or a lecture series? Very difficult.
1: Well, welcome to the world of a pastor.
0: There you go. Absolutely, same thing. And uh, to sit down and just read the Word of God, uh, not to just uh, focus on me, that's not it, but to have that relationship because ultimately, ultimately, the pursuit of understanding the Word of God, this is why interpretation can be a problem, the real genuine pursuit of understanding the Word of God is to get to know its author, and not master just the word. That's what the pursuit is. And our ministry is to equip people to get to know the author more through properly understanding his word. Mm. So the first, the big challenge even to this day is, is when I start out my day, I wake up about three or four o'clock in the morning and work, uh, you know, start, down, start my day off with the Bible. I have particularly studies I have going on. It's hard to not shift all the time into, whoa, how can I craft a PowerPoint on this today for my next class, my next course? Okay. We have 22 courses on the books that I've written over the years and have two or three more upcoming, Lord willing. So I have to force myself, and I do that by I have a certain room in the house that's dedicated just to know the author mm-hmm. through understanding his word and timing his word. Mm-hmm. I actually had to silo myself off. I couldn't do it in my office, couldn't do it in my living room, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So that's how I start the day. Wow. Then everything else unfolds from that. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So what does that look like, though, in that separate room, mm -hmm. away from your office? Mm -hmm. You are um, getting to know the author, which I love that, which is really what we're trying to do. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, um, What does that look like
0: for you? I, as an example, every year on January 2nd, I start my annual review and study of the book of Job.
1: Really? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And why is that?
0: Um, Job, for me, and, I, and, and I, I'm, I share this with many, many scholars and academics and people of all walks of life, is the most fascinating book in the Bible and to understand the rest of the Bible we have to understand Job, the event of Job. Not just the book of Job but the event of Job. Until we understand that the Bible isn't quite as understandable. Job preceded Moses. Job preceded Abraham. Job was well known throughout the the Middle East and the Near East. Uh, He was a real person. It was a real event. And um, to understand God's wisdom through the event of Job helps us understand the rest of the Bible. Many things that Jesus said, the apostles said, the prophets said, Hebrew commentary, on and on and on, all can trace themselves back to Job. Paul, the apostle Paul, framed the book of Romans around an early statement in the book of Job. The entire book of Romans is written around, motifed, formatted around a a statement we find in chapter three of Job. Jesus alluded to to things, Job, uh, things that are spoken of in the afterlife. We get our start in, in the book of Job. So I start every year out in January. For the first five or six months, just in my personal study, getting to know the wisdom of the heart and the mind of God, and the best place I maintain is the event of Job. And notice I'm very choosy about my words. I'm not saying the book of Job, the event of Job. We don't understand certainly the first three chapters of Genesis, but 11 chapters of Genesis, but primarily the first three chapters of Genesis and how evil started, what happened in the garden, on and on and on, unless we understand Job. So Job is primarily that my source is, of wisdom. It it's huge. Interesting. It's wow. huge.
1: And that, that time in Job for those yeah. five, six months, mm-hmm. it is re- You know, reading, uh, being quiet, letting that word mm-hmm. envelop your heart. Mm-hmm.
0: In mind. And getting to know
1: mm-hmm. the author.
0: And it's startling. Every year uh it's like the first time I've read Job. I have one particular Bible that I have set aside for my morning time with the author that is been sacrificed to the highlighter. <laughs> <laughs> and dates. And I can see my growth of understanding God, then understanding his word from the time I've spent in Job. In July, then, I start and close the rest of the year off with the book of Hebrews. And between those two, then everything else finds its place and falls into place in and of its own, not out of my opinion or my inductiveness, But it helps those two books as bookends to my year, my personal time, sets everything else in place. It is phenomenal.
1: Mm, Interesting. So some of our listeners are still grasping you get up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, So is that just a habit? Is that choice that you can't sleep? You go into bed at 7 o'clock in the morning. What's going on there? (laughs) And how does your wife feel about it? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, she'd rather have me get up and go down to my room than sit there and wrestle with the pillow all night long. Yeah, I was born nocturnally. I've always been awake at night, you know, and since I was born, for whatever reasons. But I need solitude. I need quietness. And if I would allow myself... Uh, to be unshackled I'd probably become the best model for a recluse the world would ever see I could live very well with my Bible on a deserted island that's just my nature that's just but there are times when I don't have those days for reasons and I'm not being cliches here those days just don't work out for me I need to have that breath of God every morning through these uh, through this, this measure. And it could be an hour to two hours long mm-hmm. with praying and thinking things through and pacing the floors out of excitement. And that happens. Mm-hmm. So that's how that looks.
1: I see the fruit of that investment in the mornings, mm-hmm. your time with him, in your countenance, how you respond, how you live in your life. Mm. Uh, I think if we look at most uh, historical people of faith, there was a common denominator, and that was the quietness, solitude, mm-hmm. uh, silence mm-hmm. of, of being in the Word and in prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you model that. Mm. So thank you thank for you. that. Thank yeah. you for not being on an island with your Bible, because <laughs> we would not be doing this podcast. But uh, <laughs> well, Dana, no, you. You, really, you really are such an example, and I wanted you to be on this podcast to give people just a... Kind of a taste of, mm-hmm. of your heart yeah. and your mind. Mm-hmm. And I think that this inspires me to dive into Job, <laughs> the story of Job, mm-hmm. the event of Job. Yes. Uh, and also just the passion that we want to bring to the Bible. Mm-hmm. And not so much the interpretations, but just understanding it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much for coming yeah. in and what you're doing, your ministry, your family. Uh, your heart for us and so let's continue running this race
0: good thank you i'm very flattered and very honored that you would like to have this conversation together and um it's inspiring what you do and the gentleness of romans 12 and the heart you have for people and they're struggling and so it's nice to to do this together i really mean that thank you yeah
1: well, let's do it again, okay? Because I here's what I'm thinking. I just wrote down all these different things, and I I want to maybe just. I remember back in the '80s, there was a, I think it was the Bible Answer Man, Walter Martin, or something. Yeah. I remember listening to it on radio. Yeah, I would love to just give you topics, and I would just love to hear your heart biblically okay. what you've studied.
0: I'll try my best, and
1: you know we don't you know don't pay big dividends here, so we just offer good cold water.
0: You know. We have to be more concerned about what's being stored up for us in our next chapter of our existence, because even so, whatever we are gifted with here, it withers. And um, yeah, we'll talk maybe sometime about those future rewards, Mm -hmm. if you'd like to.
1: Let's do it. Okay. Your love today. Thank you.
0: Good. Thank you very much.
1: Well, once again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We are so thankful for you, for faithful listeners that subscribe, that pass on these podcasts to other people as we spread this stories of hope with topics that hopefully interest you. We are able to do this with your support, not only in prayers but also financial. So if that's something that you're nudged to do, please check us out at Romans12ministries.org. And uh, there's a donate button there, and those donations help us continue with these podcasts. But we are so thankful for you. We are grateful for your partnership and your passion for pastors, ministry leaders, missionaries, and their families.
0: Thank you for joining us today at another episode of Relate, Refresh, and Restore, a podcast sponsored by Romans 12 Ministries. For more information on Romans 12 Ministries, visit us at romans12ministries.org or give us a call at 520-982-5877. May we all continue to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer.